You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the show. Today is a solo show. We're going to be diving into all about cognitive distortions and three common types of distortions I see in eating disorder recovery clients of mine and folks in the collective. So stay tuned. But I did want to give you a little bit of a life update before I dive in. So I am finally back in the United States after a full month of travel. And I'm actually still traveling because I'm currently in Charlotte, North Carolina, visiting my friend who's getting married later in the summer. And it's been really nice. I'm actually not sure where I'm going to be living after my breakup a few months ago. So I'm exploring Charlotte to see if this is a city I'd like to live in. With Europe, oh my gosh, I wanted to fill you all in on my last part of that trip. So my last leg was a trip to Copenhagen. And to be honest, when I got there, it was rainy and gross. And my taxi ride was almost $100 just to get from the airport to my friend's house. And I was like, this place is expensive and the weather sucks. But honestly, after just one day there, I was completely blown away. And I actually ended up meeting up with some college friends there. And it was really nice because my friend is married to a husband who is Danish and I got the local tour. So we saw all the great restaurants. We actually biked around the city, which is a common way to get around there. And I truly fell in love with the place. I thought Copenhagen was like a mini utopia. It was just so much fun. So I highly recommend going if you haven't been yet. And if you've never traveled alone, I definitely recommend that as well, as long as you are safe. But traveling alone for me was actually extremely affirming to who I am. And being able to choose what I want to do every day was really wonderful for my soul. I know many of us growing up, you know, tend to be people pleasers and take pride in doing what everyone else wants to do. But when you travel alone, it's a great opportunity to practice doing what you want to do and listening to yourself. And so for me, that looked a lot like riding horses on different mountainsides and island hopping tours and food tours through different cities And my main consideration, of course, was making sure I stayed within my budget. But travel over there was really affordable, especially at the moment. And 
essentially my only other consideration was making sure that I was able to fit my work hours in and keep communication up with my clients. So it was really nice. I tried to take full advantage of the food and treated myself to fancy dinners and desserts whenever I could. And to be honest, I felt so grateful for my recovery because I have all these experiences with a sense of joy and food freedom. And I remember when the food traveling really stressed me out. And I remember not eating the foods I wanted and feeling a ton of guilt for maybe eating too much or going out to dinner and eating quote unquote unhealthy. But it felt so freeing to be in Europe and to not be concerned with guilt or body image. And it's funny, I really did connect with many of the clients that I have because whenever I do take on a new client, I typically spend a session discussing in detail with them why they want to recover. And I would say half of the individuals who come to me say that they want to enjoy and embrace food while traveling. So dive into the local cuisines, eat the traditional dishes, and be open to trying new things from the places they are visiting. And during this trip, I had so many of my current and past clients in mind because this was exactly what I got to do. And it was just more proof in my life, although I haven't had any doubts, but proof that recovery makes life open up. And it was such a pleasure to be able to allow food to be, I would say, the main source of joy on this trip. I looked forward to eating the food every single day. I kid you not. So anyway, let that be a small motivator for you to keep working on your own recoveries so you can take that trip you've always wanted and embrace all of the food. Okay, so today I want to talk about three different types of cognitive distortions and how they might be showing up in your recovery and how to heal yourself from thinking in this way. And of course, I just want to preface this with, there are several different types of cognitive distortions. I was looking online when I was doing research and there are lists of different cognitive distortions. So I would go out there and say maybe as far as 20 different types. And today we're only going to be talking about three. So what is a cognitive distortion? The American Psychological Association defines cognitive distortions as faulty or inaccurate thinking, perceptions, or beliefs. And they say that negativity is often the defining characteristics. I think we could get a little bit more clear with this definition. So I also want to add that cognitive distortions are thoughts that cause individuals to perceive reality inaccurately. And according to Wikipedia, a cognitive distortion is an exaggerated or irrational thought pattern involved in the onset or perpetuation of psychological states 
such as depression or anxiety. So if we can agree that your thoughts create your emotions and your emotions fuel your behaviors, we can also agree that the negative thinking patterns created by your cognitive distortions reinforce negative emotions and thoughts. And they can also reinforce negative eating disorder behaviors. So during moments in life, these distorted thoughts can contribute to an overall negative outlook on the world, yourself, your recovery journey, and perpetuate these depressive or anxious mental states. So of course, we want to identify cognitive distortions when they're happening in our life and start to challenge those and let those go so we can start thinking more flexibly and more accurately about what's happening in the world around us. So the first type of cognitive distortion I want to talk to all of you about is black and white thinking. I see black and white thinking a lot with individuals who align with the perfectionist mindset And I also want to add a little side note here that black and white thinking can also be called all or nothing thinking. And this type of thinking typically looks like thinking that something can be a success or a failure and there really is nothing in between. You can easily spot black and white thinking when you listen to the language you're using in your life. So if you are constantly speaking in definitive terms like always or never or I can't, this is typically an indicator of a black and white thinking cognitive distortion. So an example of this that I hear quite often in my coaching is coping skills never work for me or maybe no matter how hard I try, I can never stop insert behavior. So I can't stop exercising. And when you hear these thoughts, you see that there's no room for flexibility. You're using these definitive terms. And when you believe in definitive terms, there's no wiggle room for the words sometimes or maybe or often or anything that leaves room for the possibility that you can make a change, right? I also find that individuals who get stuck into this way of thinking also struggle with believing they are good enough and have trouble acknowledging their partial successes in life and recovery. There is no middle ground. They're either a success or a failure. So To them, in their mind, any setback in recovery completely erases any previous successes they have, when in reality, they are covering ground and making progress, but they don't see it in that way. An example of this is when I have clients who are asked to complete a meal plan by their dietitian, and if they, quote, mess up their morning breakfast or morning snack, they immediately deem the entire day a failure and let the rest of the day become a really disordered day. Black and white thinkers need to get used to 
living in the gray zone, as I like to say. So thinking in the gray zone sounds like this. I didn't do amazing at my meal plan today, but I did okay, right? I didn't really complete breakfast as best as I could, but I decided to try my best for the rest of the day. I once heard a life coach say that everyone should be aiming for B minus work in life. And while I would love for everyone to have A plus work in recovery every day, that's really unrealistic. And that's never the truth of the situation. Usually it's a very messy process with so many ups and downs. So aiming for B minus work is really a great mindset, in my opinion, to have to start breaking free from this all or nothing thinking pattern. I also think when you can start thinking in the gray, it's a much more compassionate way of thinking, just believing that your efforts are good enough. It doesn't necessarily matter if the outcome is perfect. What matters is that you are trying and doing your best and learning along the way. So the next cognitive distortion I want to talk about because I see it all the time is mind reading. This one is self-explanatory. We think we know what other people are thinking. (laughs) We are attempting to read their minds when in reality, we're not mind readers. And the definition is that mind reading is inferring a person's possible or probable, usually negative thoughts from their behavior and nonverbal communication, taking precautions against the worst suspected case without asking the person directly. I see this a lot, especially socially among many folks with eating disorders. For instance, if they were to go to a restaurant with friends or family, and the people around the table are all enjoying that time there, but say somebody might look at them in a funny way, that individual might suddenly believe that that person is angry at them or annoyed or maybe judging the food that they are eating, when in reality, that's not the case at all. Maybe that person had like a sour bite of lettuce or something like that. You never really know. And we like to fill in the gaps and create stories about what people are thinking or believing often about us. And it's not true because you haven't went directly to them and checked the facts. Mind reading might also look like having trouble with food challenges or assignments that your dietitian or coach gave you. And then assuming that your team doesn't like you anymore or thinks you're too difficult to work with. And in reality, that's not the case. The key here is that typically these thoughts are just assumptions and they often come from overanalyzing behaviors and comments that people around you make and then actually personalizing them, which is another form of a cognitive distortion. And then the people assume They know what that person is thinking. But however, the best way to really release the anxiety you feel about mind reading is to directly ask the people you're with what they are thinking. And you will find that just this small change in communication will save you hours, maybe days of 
overanalyzing this situation and maybe causing stress or tension in a relationship that didn't need to have that in the first place. And finally, the third and final cognitive distortion I want to talk to all of you about today is catastrophizing. And this is when somebody gives greater weight to the worst possible outcome or assumes the worst case scenario will happen. No matter how unlikely that actually is, the person assumes that's going to be the case. And that could be due to certain beliefs they have about themselves, like being unlucky or always getting the bad end of the deal. But in reality, it's very unlikely that the worst case scenario is going to happen. Catastrophizing can also look like experiencing a situation as unbearable or impossible, even torturous to you, when in reality, it was just an uncomfortable situation. And I see both of these examples a lot with individuals in recovery, especially I'll give you an example here with individuals who are afraid to eat certain foods. So a way I see catastrophizing playing out is a person might assume eating just a bite of, say, a fear food will cause them to lose control, and then they will only want to eat, say, sweets and fried food for the rest of their life. So that is highly unlikely, if not impossible, to happen because your body will start craving fresh foods if that's all you eat. So catastrophizing might also look like fear that if you just allow yourself to eat, you know, a piece of cake, your body's going to, quote, blow up in size, which I hear that phrase a lot. I don't really like it. Just because you gave yourself permission to eat that one food again. And that is catastrophizing. I also see catastrophizing with small body changes. For instance, if someone restores a little bit of weight, they assume that everyone is going to notice and suddenly disapprove of them and see them as a failure and that they will no longer be loved. And that's not true either. Often catastrophizing requires us to remember that usually an experience can often have a better outcome than expected. Sometimes facing your fears is not going to be as bad as you imagine. I can think of so many instances of my life where I was terrified, and then it turned out to be not so bad. For instance, public speaking, like if I have to give a wedding speech, I will be super nervous. And then by the end of it, I can feel proud and recognize I didn't stumble my words or forget to say anything or freeze. I just did the thing and it turned out fine. And so I want you to recognize and actually think back to moments in your own life where you did face a fear and it turned out okay. That's the same thing with eating disorder recovery. There are so many moments where I have a client assigned to challenge a certain food and then they finally do that challenge and they actually feel better after doing it because they recognize, okay, the worst case scenario didn't happen and I actually feel inspired by completing this. And that's really amazing. So 
the worst case scenario doesn't always happen. And sometimes facing your fears is not going to be as bad as you imagine. So if you notice that you're freezing up with this high level of fear about doing something, maybe you are catastrophizing. Maybe you are imagining an outcome that's not likely going to be true. So make sure you catch yourself in those moments and bring yourself back to reality and practice thinking in the gray. You know, if the worst case scenario is one extreme and maybe there's a best case scenario, which also could potentially happen, there might be something in the middle that might likely happen. So thinking in that way can really help. So folks, there are several more types of cognitive distortions. I highly recommend you pick up an eight keys to eating disorder recovery workbook because they do a whole exercise on challenging these distortions inside the book that I highly recommend. When it comes to cognitive distortions, just remember that it's important to educate yourself about them and build awareness around where they are showing up in your life and recovery. And when you spot them, I suggest you take a moment to challenge these thoughts. Ask questions from the perspective of your healthy self that wants to recover. You could also try to dialogue to pull yourself back into a non-distorted thought pattern. So ask yourself, is what I'm thinking true? Do I know for certain that this is true? Do I have evidence to support this claim? Do I have evidence to support the opposite of this claim? I suggest you pretend you're a lawyer in a courtroom TV show. Honestly, it's kind of fun to do this exercise because you can really point out the flaws in the argument of the ED and the distortions themselves. So really make a point to try to point out the flaws in your own thinking and find the spots that can be revealed as untrue or potentially untrue or a thought that you're willing to see differently. Having the natural ability to challenge and question your thoughts and being open and flexible to viewing things differently can drastically improve your mental health. And doing this will also help you change the internal narrative that is causing you distress in the first place. So all of this will be extremely helpful for you during your recovery journey. And with that, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know that I am so grateful for all of you for always listening. And I'm appreciative to everyone who has been writing reviews or reaching out to me on Instagram and I just want to say that this podcast brings me so much joy and yeah, I hope you all have a beautiful rest of your day and I will see you next week. 